Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Sex trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. But Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Six to this A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. The Cleveland Cavaliers have completed their West Coast road trip with a 2-2 two and two record. Lots of positive and negative takeaways from those games, growing pains, all that good stuff. But before we get into that, I have to remind our audience that support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams on the globe zoom how the world connects and joining me now on zoom is my co-host carter rodriguez carter how you doing buddy i'm doing great man um you know obviously not the most fun back-to-back in the world uh though nope. the lakers game started out pretty fun <laughs> and so did the suns game but uh you know it, it it felt like the the gravitas of their competition caught up to the team a little bit um the uh the some tired legs caught up to them yeah, uh, especially in that Phoenix game, which I think was an objectively much worse outing than the uh, than the Lakers game. The the Phoenix and game was the one stinker, right? Of this it, road it's trip, been the wor- it's been the worst game of the season by by a mile, I think. And um, you know, it just felt like some stuff caught up to this team. But you know, I, I do think I mean I think this is kind of the point of this the, today's pod is we're going to kind of talk through what's real and what's not it feels like a certain subset of the fan base kind of feels like this is the real team and the the early fun was not the real team and mm-hmm. you know uh, I'm, I'm interested that's kind of what i'm interested to talk about today um we have done no rundown planning um like the true <laughs> professionals we are and but that's kind of where i think we should go because this was not those were not fun games um and i and you know i it was it was it was kind of a slog uh you know the second half of the lake actually you know lakers game was fun all the way through screw that i, I was um, about to say they, they yeah, closed yeah. it but, out but, at the end but, but yeah yeah but phoenix was not fun um and it feels like uh maybe it's just the way this fan base is always going to be but it feels like people are a little more down than i thought they'd be you know what i i kind of get it like at the same time the fact that this team is promising enough to actually legitimately disappoint at times is something that's refreshing right like the the glimpses of how great the potential is with this roster gets people excited so when you get that hit and then all of a sudden it's not there or, or you have an off night or an off quarter whatever the case may be that's going to cause some frustration so I, I i do understand that um I, I think it's certainly worth noting that those last two games the lakers and Suns, third and fourth game in six nights not not ideal um also you you have the factor that both of those teams um the lakers were coming off a bad loss to the thunder got lebron back um the suns were coming off a four days rest bad imagine four days rest man four days rest you don't have to play three games in those four days uh but four days rest and coming off a bad loss against the kings and i i don't know if you ever do this carter but one of the things i i try to do and they did it again this morning as i was rewatching the game i try to put myself in the mindset of what i would do if i was covering the phoenix suns like if we were doing a suns podcast because you look at that start of the game and phoenix missed 
there was some unforced errors. They started 0 of 10 from 3. Uh, the game was still kind of tight throughout that first quarter. And then in the second half, or sorry, the second quarter, you had the Cavs make a little bit of a run against the Suns bench. Uh, Chris Paul was the only starter with Shamit, uh, Cam Johnson, Smith, and McGee. Cavs went on a little bit of a run. And then as those Suns starters came in, they shook off the rust and the better team ended up showing that they were the better team, uh, which I mean, as Cavs fans, we should be very familiar with that. That's we saw that many a times during the LeBron era where, yeah, you, you come out after a lot of time off. You're a little rusty. You miss some shots. You make some unforced errors. And like, let's be honest, the Cavs are not on the same caliber as the Phoenix Suns. They went to the NBA finals last season for no, a reason. I, I, I think someone in our discord was like, the Sun, the Cavs, maybe it was on Twitter. Someone said the Cavs had no answer for the Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton pick and roll. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> join the club, guys. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of people do. Uh, man, Ayton has gotten so much better, even from like mid last season. Um, oh, yeah. Like, he was just such a physical force in that game. It was, it's fun. You know, you know, I'm a sucker for big man play. And uh, I, I just have really appreciated the, the way his game has grown um, over the last couple of years because I was a big fan coming out. And then, you know, Luca Mania hit, Trey Young Mania hit, and it was like, okay, he's kind of the forgotten man. And it was like, oof, this guy is showing everything I kind of thought he could be um, coming out of school. But I want to go back to the Cavs because you said something really, really interesting to me on <clears throat> on chat. Sorry, I'm getting over a cold. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, in in talking about the reaction to, to this team so far, you said – uh, a consistent theme this year is the baggage that people carry into these games. You know, I want I want to come after our Discord listeners, our our dear <laughs> dear friends in the Discord, because someone was like, "How did Je- How did Jetty do?" And they're like, "Eh, he was fine. Uh, you know, hit some shots, but he's but he's still Jetty." And it's like, "Bro, hit six threes. Like any role player who hit six threes had a good game. Like, yeah. come, uh, come on, speaking. guys." And, and and you know, it was funny when we were in Cleveland watching that 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 home opener back to back. Uh, we were like, oh, Kev's moving pretty well. Kev's playing well. And then he's we checked Twitter and he's just getting absolutely destroyed because he missed a few shots. Yep. Um, and it's funny, like I thought that was a really, really smart take that like it feels like when people do have nits to pick with this team right now, it's about like kind of just like lingering perceptions as opposed to like real problems. I, I agree. And and that's why I'm I'm very hesitant to kind of gatekeep the reactions. Like there there's going to be a lot of frustration. And when you're talking about what is this Cavs team? Or is it the Cavs team from the High Knights or the Cavs team from the Phoenix Suns? I mean, the reality is both. What we said after the Denver Nuggets losses, this team, again, like I, I find after wins we're offering often tempering expectations and after losses we are calming people down in a lot of ways but what we said was like they're not going to be as bad as they are on their worst nights and they're not be going to be as good as they are on their best nights like yes this is year four of of the rebuild retooling however you want to frame it Cavs renaissance um whatever you wanted revolution yeah revolution you know put whatever label you want but at the end of the day the real core pieces um you're Probable probable franchise guy Nevin Mobley as a rookie playing his second week of his career. Darius Garland's 21, Colin Sexton's 22, Okoro's 20. He's out of the lineup. Probably a helpful piece when you look at what he brings to the table from an intelligence standpoint, uh, especially in comparison to Lamar Stevens. And Jared Allen, I mean, he he's really been kind of the barometer 
of whether or not the Cavs are going to have a successful night because in the games where they're playing well, he's rebounding well. He, he's up in the double digits. Uh, he, he's making more of an impact on the game. And he in particular looked like he had tired legs against Phoenix. Like he he kind of had a good first quarter, uh, but he blew the uh, an alley-oop dunk where he just didn't get up. Um, he just he kind of faded a little bit and it made sense given the circumstances, given fourth game uh, in six nights that JB Bickerstaff would rest the majority of the starters, whether it's Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, uh, Colin Sexton. I thought it was a little weird uh, that Garland played as much as he did. I, I would have liked getting him some rest, but I, I guess with him missing time, you're, you're trying to get him in, into shape and work things through. That would be my best guess. Uh, but it made sense because I, I think the reason the Cavs really got into that game was because they pulled their starters and Phoenix took their foot off the gas a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is, it is just the way the season's going to be, you know, like mm-hmm. they're going to, they're going to have these kind of stretches where um, they look like world beaters. And then some teams are going to beat the the crap out of them. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I forget. Sometimes I forget we're a Cavs own podcast. Good. Good. Um, at it. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I didn't want to hit the bleep button. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was, I don't know, man, it, it does. I do want to kind of ask you this, though, like, you know, what, where do you what do you feel is, you know, like, sustainable, like, and what do you think is the stuff that's going to continue to pose problems? Because like, you know, like, for example, Evan Mobley had a bad game against Phoenix. He like, did. Do you think that's, do you think that's stuff that's going to pop on tape and have and be a problem for him moving forward? Or do you think that's tired legs? And playing an eight man rotation on the second half of a back to back. And it's as simple as that. That's what I've been trying to think about with this team right now is like, what actually is going to stick? You know what? It's hard to say, and we're probably not going to know. I mean, this is the least sexy answer, but we're not going to know until we're maybe 20, 30 games into this season. Um, But I I do think like when you look at Evan Mobley, one of the consistent areas where, or the consistent type of player that, kind of gives him some problems is those that are willing to get into him and get into his chest and be physical to create that space he he'll drop back right because he's able to recover he's got so much length that he gives defenders a lot of space he'll he'll shuffle with them but you saw with Nick Batum uh DeAndre Aiden guys that are really willing to get in there, get underneath into him and create some space. Um, that kind of throws off his timing as a defensive player. And I, I think to some extent that's to be expected, right? Like he is still a very lean prospect. Um, this is part of the reason why I think it's so important to have a Jared Allen with him, someone uh, that that can take a little bit more of that bruising. But um, I, I, I do think, you know, you're, you're going to have off nights. Um, he's not used to playing this many minutes, this many games in a week. Um, so that's probably going to be something that's consistent. Um, but you, you're going to find that a, a lot of those more physical teams uh, are, are able to or generate some good teams. looks. You know, I mean, like what I saw in this game was a veteran team that was picking on a bunch of kids. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, it was, it was, it felt because it's not like the Suns. I mean, obviously, Aiden is, and and Bridges, I suppose, are are kind of athletic exceptions. But this isn't a team that you know is a bunch of high flyer or even just like brutish strength kind of guys. Like Jay Crowder is, you know, he's tougher. He plays tough for a, you know an undersized four. Yeah. But it's he's not all like caps, they, boss man, ninety nine for a reason, man. But it's not like there's a there are a bunch of Stephen Adams out there, you know. Yeah. Um, but like, man, they were. I feel like you know, and you you've kind of noted this. Like, they kind of understand what they can get away with physically and what they can't get away with. Yeah. And, 
every drive to the paint. I mean, I think they stripped Darius on like what three, four straight possessions. They did. Yep. And, and you know what? A, a consistent theme with that too, and, and I think a consistent theme so far with the Cavs this season is the teams that basically play four out, the the ones that play wings at power forward are the ones that are giving them the most problems because especially when you get a pick and roll involved with Darius Garland and whoever the four is, whether it's Kevin Love, Laurie Markkinen, Evan Mobley, uh, when that wing switches on to Darius or, or Colin uh, or even Isaac sometimes, they're really having a lot of trouble uh, kind of navigating that size. And, and I think you saw the length of the Lakers really bothered Sexton. Um, I, I've seen um, Mike. And Garland. And, right. Garland was better against the Lakers, but still. Yeah. Gar- like Garland the turnovers had, remain a huge problem. And we got to talk about the turnovers. We, we will. We absolutely will. And, and I'm getting to that right now. Like a lot of the times what, what we're seeing and Mike Prada brought this up. Um, you're seeing hand checks kind of go uncalled right now. And with the NBA kind of shifting to allowing more contact, uh, new kind of points of emphasis to the start of the season, there's a lot of physicality. And Garland and Sexton seem to struggle, especially when there's wings on them and they're driving into the paint. There's a level of contact and physicality that's being allowed that they are not used to. And now, they're, they're not alone with these struggles, but basically it's kind of like in football where if all of a sudden they allowed you to hit guys over the middle again, where you have a receiver thinking, okay, like I've, I've been allowed this the last couple of years, they go over the middle and they just get killed. Garland, um, those turnovers, especially in the, the second quarter, you saw whether it's Jay Crowder on him or Cam Johnson, guys with length, and he's trying to get by that length. They're they're bumping him. They're getting him kind of out of his rhythm. Sometimes he and Sexton are, are looking for calls, and they're really struggling to adjust because they're so used to being allowed to probe in the interior where guys aren't allowed to really body them up in the same way. And that's go- there's going to need to be an adjustment for that because it- – Garland, Sexton, guards all around the league. Like Damian Lillard's averaging like 19 points, shooting 20, uh, 38-26, right? Like there, there is an adjustment period for a lot of these smaller guards to kind of cope with the new physicality that's being allowed. I, I think there are instances where fouls aren't being called. But at the same time, it, it's just a different style of play, and you're seeing that impact league-wide. Yeah, I think I think so, but you especially feel it on the Cavs because they weren't exactly great foul, foul drawers in the first place. I mean, exactly. I think I think Mobley's leading the team in free throw rate. At oh, and, and I'm not Oregon. even talking about trying to draw fouls in the paint. I'm yeah. talking about Garland doing his little kind of water bug routine in in the paint to get guys open. Uh, the the fact that especially when there's those wings on him because. Against the Suns, they basically put Mikael Bridges on Colin Sexton, who Bridges probably top five perimeter defender in the league. That was bothering him a little bit. Paul was on Garland a fair bit, one of the best point guard defenders. And then you also had Jay Crowder on him as well as Cam Johnson. And, and that, a lot that of the Suns team was built in a lab to torture this Cavs team. It, it really was. And, and it's one of those instances where it's really apparent uh, the, the need of a wing creator, uh, someone else that can kind of draw that attention, that can create some plays because they're sticking Devin Booker or they're sticking Devin Booker on Laurie Markkinen. They stuck Chris Paul on Evan Mobley a few times to get length on Garland to kind of disrupt that. And you need somebody in the front court that that's able to kind of create a little more from the perimeter. And I, I think that's part of the reason why you saw Jetty Osmond have such an effective game is because the length was being put on their guards and that allowed Jetty to create. Now, obviously him hitting shots was a big part of it as well. Which um, is the whole point of basketball. Right. Just to continue to defend our guy Jetty. Cause 
I feel like there's so much scar tissue with him from last season. It's like, yeah, I mean, he's never going to be a perfect player, but I mean, the reason he was bad last year is he didn't make any shots. Mm-hmm. So if he makes shots, he's doing better. I don't, yeah. I don't get why this is so, why that would be controversial, but I feel like it kind of is. Yeah, and the other thing that I'm, I'm noticing on this road trip, and I mean, we should take a step back at the same time and, and say going two and two in this stretch was a huge win uh, on this West oh, Coast yeah. trip. Like that, that is better than we expected. It wasn't the, uh, the Owen 15. Some people would say shout out to our buddy, Evan Damrell. Um, but you, you in know, fairness to Evan, he didn't predict it, but he acted as though it were very feasible. And I wanted to, I, and I feel like we have to at least kind of victory lap on him. Of course, of course, you know, it's but only in love, Evan. It, only in retaliation of all the shots that we receive, right? Yeah, we get uh, we get shots left and right. You know what? I'm not sorry. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but one of the things that I'm noticing, and it it'll come up against these really good teams uh, that, especially when they kind of flip the switch and, and they really buy in defensively, the motion offense. I, I think it's really for the benefit of these guys. They're they're trying to get guys moving, learning how to play off ball, and all of that. But as they get tired and they're running it at maybe 80% speed and the other team is really locking in, it's a lot of movement without really manipulating the defense in the ways that you want. And you you see the, the, the plays that they're trying to run get blown up a little bit, and especially in these scoring droughts. And one thing that I'd like to see, I, I think you got to stick with the motion offense. I think it's really good for their development. But I would like to see them attack mismatches a little more, you know, create isolation opportunities for Colin Sexton. Like, yes, the easy buckets we're getting him right now are, are really important. And, and that's a good thing for his growth. But at the same time, he's someone that can get you those tough buckets. And, and when the the Lakers are sticking Russell Westbrook on him or or he has some sort of advantage there. I'd l- I'd like to see him get a few opportunities to cook. I, and and same goes for Garland when running some spread pick and roll, some high pick and roll, easier buckets kind of the bread and butter. You don't want everyone standing around when we're doing those sort of things like we did last season, but I feel like a hybrid between those two styles could be beneficial especially when things are getting bogged down. Let your best playmakers, your best shot creators go out there and create some shots. Yeah, and it's it's about generating the advantage with them, you know. Like right. that's why you know, not just saying Sexton go cook. It's Sexton. Let let's find a way to get a big switched on to Sexton so he can go cook. Exactly. Um, you, you get that motion that said, prior to the isolation, and then also have some off ball on, on the weak side. Ha- have some actions there to give him bailout options in case of that help comes in the isolation. Right. Have have the guy in the dunker spot. Have someone at that kind of weak side 45 degree angle that he can kick out because Sexton makes those reads pretty well um so I, I'd like to see more of those opportunities for Garland and Sexton because as beneficial as I think this is and I, I think as much credit as we should be giving this coaching staff from for getting some motion into this offense given how stagnant it was last year I, I do think finding that balance and finding ways to get these guys going individually is worthwhile with with all that said and I don't I don't disagree with you if I'm JB Bickerstaff, I'm saying, well, my dudes aren't executing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you look at the three point shooting, they have one dude over 35% in, in Jetty Osmond, then Ricky right at 35, Darius at 33, mm-hmm. Dean Wade at 28.6, Lori 28.6, Evan Mobley 28.6, Colin Sexton 25, Kevin Love 20.8. I mean, they're not I- making shots. And it's not, and, and unlike, the the foul hunters and and the off off dribble guys that we're kind of used to that are just maybe getting bullied a little bit more that are mm-hmm. able to 
that you know teams maybe feel like they can press on. I think the Cavs are actively generating pretty good looks most of the time. They really are, and so, that's, so they're that's... not making shots, and that's really make. And, and we've and we've said this even back in the LeBron era. It's so annoying to me that so much of this comes down to did your shots go in? Mm-hmm. You know, because you want to have all this high flute and stuff, and then it's like, well, if the shots didn't go in, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, right now the shots aren't going in. Um, for for almost anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, from distance at a consistent basis and then uh so so that's that's you know in, in your control insofar as uh, they you know they can shoot better um and then the other thing that's in their control is the turnovers man darius oh, is yeah. averaging 4.6 turnovers a game 18 over his last three games yep um and honestly man i i think i think it's worth having a darius needs to be better conversation yeah um because I think obviously he he got banged up in that first game, and I don't know if he's still dealing with any lingering issues. But you know, we were all told the the star turn was coming, and it hasn't come yet, frankly. Um, and you know, I think I think in a lot of ways, his the guards lost him that game against Phoenix. I mean, they were getting abused, um, yeah. and in you know, obviously the shooting you hope turns around. And the playmaking from Darius is better than it's ever been, but it's also coming at the expense of some like really careless passing. Yeah, no, it, absolutely. And it's funny you you hope that the the presence of Ricky Rubio kind of you know steadying presence helps him out, but at the same time, Ricky makes some wild decisions. Like he 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 makes the same kind of reckless passes as Garland. So I, I don't know uh, if he's necessarily the voice of reason in those opportunities, but I do think that he needs to simplify things. And a, a lot of those turnovers are coming down to him dribbling a little too much in the paint as i mentioned with increased physical play there he has to recognize that he's not going to be able to do that in the same ways uh, i he, he does he needs to to flat out be better right like because he is the ceiling raiser on this team uh it's the second bulletin on my note here sex line needs to be better garland needs to take better care of the basketball uh they both need the to thing make- about sexton though is i really i mean yeah the turnovers have been a little worse than normal but like i feel like he's mostly playing within the role but like the whole point of moving sexton off ball is to say darius go be a star and he's just not been one right now so while i've been you know like while i i don't want to like pit one against the other because i'm you know we're not interested in that on this podcast mm-hmm. it's like i'm much more interested in darius because the standard the org seems to be setting for him is higher you know yeah and you know slashing 43.9 percent 33 percent from three while turning the ball over five times a game is not going to do it for this team long term totally and i really think it's the biggest difference between this team having a really good offense and the 21st ranked offense which they have right now yeah absolutely and uh, i think when you're looking at encouraging signs for the season like you have to take into consideration young teams historically do not play well on the road uh this team has played a very very heavy road schedule i think we've basically seen in person the only home games that the Cavs have played this season uh that so is I think correct so i think that's uh something to at least keep in the back of your mind hey we get one home game this week carter uh three road games and one home yeah, game then, you know and back on the road it's ridiculous back on man. the road you know um but you're you're right like i i think it's understandable for these guys to to struggle at times but garland needs to be better like especially with the the pressure that the organization is putting on him and the expectations and yeah maybe, maybe the injury had some 
uh, some factor in it, but a lot of this does come down to decision making, and he needs to make adjustments to the way that the defenses are allowed to play right now. Uh, he needs to execute at a higher level, and I, I think it's fair to to have expectations for him. I think at the same time, we should probably note Lakers game was probably one of his best games that we've seen him play. Yep. Had a nice game. Still turn the ball over six times, you know, like that's the thing. We just got to like, I, I, I don't want to, um, you know, I hate it. I'm actually, I, I, I almost said it, but it's like one of my least favorite, like sports talky things is like, I'm not going to make excuses for this guy as though mm-hmm. like, we're like, uh, like, like, like as though he's listening to us, you yeah. know, um, like oh, we're, I, we're, we're like, not big. We're going to hold guys accountable. Yeah, yeah, because that's, no one's I'm not trying to, to hold Darius accountable, you know, cause I hate when people do that, but you know, I, I, I want to hold my own standards for Darius. I want to hold myself accountable to my own takes. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. Uh, and like, I, and I think this guy can be uh, a star and I'm not seeing that yet. Um, so it's really a matter of, you know, like it's, it's, it's a lot of cleanup, man. Like, sure. The jumper isn't falling right now, but like, that's not his biggest problem on the court right now for this offense. It is this, this team loses games when they turn the ball over four out of five possessions in a yeah. stretch. Yep. That is that is the number one across all four losses so far. Yeah, it's four. Across all four losses, they have lost the game in one five-minute stretch. Yep. And, and now, you they, know what- now, there have been times where it's like Phoenix, it just they had a couple of those stretches. But that like it tends to be the case that their mistakes are compacted into one painful gut punch. Mm-hmm. And, and as the point guard of the team is the guy who often has <laughs> turned the ball over, uh, you gotta, you gotta be better, uh, on that front. And I really do think that is going to be a real ceiling driver. Do I still think this team is as good as I thought they were at the end of that Clippers game? Yes, I do. I'm starting to dream as, as I mentioned, I'm starting to dream bigger dreams mm-hmm. than I had at the beginning of the season. Like I'm, I'm not saying I think it's going to happen, but like I now, I, I, still see a path to like a 500 record mm-hmm. yeah. um, which would be I, I like insane high, over but, performance yeah. which would be insane over performance but like you can see the path um and, and i and i haven't been dissuaded from those but like those kind of the things we're talking about are the things that are going to take them from being a you know high 20s 20 wins team uh to you know a mid 30s wins team and that's the reason that we both thought they could win in the mid 30s Mm-hmm. is yeah. because we thought these guys were going to be able to take it here. Now, they're already overperforming those expectations a little bit because a guy like Mobley's better than we thought he was going to be. Yeah. Um, but, like, the other stuff has to come coalesce around that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it's one of the exciting things about this team, right, is that when you are talking about guys that are this young – they can improve, right? Like there, there's so much room for these guys to grow and it's really going to come down to how much consistency are these guys going to display? How many off nights is Darius going to have? How how many nights um, are we going to find where Colin, whether it is just not getting him involved enough or or him kind of struggling to, to find his footing within this offense, uh, how many nights he's not going to be able to score? I think one consistent thing with the two guards is they need to be a little more decisive. Like those guys... The two of them got into a lot of turnover trouble uh, against the Lakers and Suns, leaving their feet before they pass, right? And and I think Darius's ability to, like, his, he's one of the few kind of water bug point guards where that can dribble the way he does that's pass first, right? Like, normally when you see those type of guys, they are hunting their own shots and he's pass first. But when he's 
making decisions on the fly a lot of the turnovers are indecision too right like where he's going up and he's trying to think am i going to throw a floater or am i going to throw a lob uh like he had one that wasn't classified as a turnover but it basically should have been uh because it, he last minute decided to throw it up at the rim a, a, as a floater and it was the indecision of either go for the floater or throw the lob to, I believe, Mobley against the Lakers. Either decision would have been the right one in that space. And the indecision is what got him. Uh, turnovers to guys that aren't ready for his passes because it looks like he's going up for a shot and then he throws it, right? Uh, there was one to Lamar Stevens. That you, you have a few of those in tight in the paint. So just being more decisive, whether or not you're, it's the right or wrong decision, just make one a little bit quicker because I think it makes it easier for the teammates to to play off of that. And you can also learn from that from a, a film standpoint, right? Like, I, I don't want this season to be one, and I, I don't think it's going to be one, right? Like, I, I think they are still experimenting with the rotation. They are, are giving guys room to make mistakes. But I don't want these guys to make decisions to protect their true shooting percentage or their, their turnover rate or whatever the case may be. I want them to go out there and make mistakes. But I think they need to be a little bit more decisive because um, the, the indecision uh, that generates turnovers frustrates me more than bad decisions. Bad decisions you can learn from. Yeah, I think I think there's there's good good mistakes and bad mistakes and they've been making some bad mistakes in this run and again like i don't want to sound doom and gloom because i'm really not uh no. you know this is the challenge Dude, I'm, we're I'm always so gonna excited. Have. this is always gonna be the challenge we have doing this twice a week where we have to like evaluate what we're watching on a week-to-week mm-hmm. -week basis and like the last two games weren't good um uh, from from an attention to detail standpoint so we're going to talk about attention to detail here yeah um but like you know, I do. We, are we down on the team? Not one iota. We're pretty. We're pretty excited about this squad. They're um, they're ahead of schedule. One, these these are the conversations that I'm I'm really excited to have because it's trying to identify where and how they're making those mistakes, so we can evaluate with the coming games whether or not those mistakes are as frequent, where where the kind of opportunities for growth are, and whether or not they're capitalizing on those opportunities. Like they're they're ahead of schedule right now. Like I, I feel good about this team's ability to compete for a play in spot right now. But when you look at this upcoming schedule, Charlotte gave them a lot of trouble because that's another team that plays almost exclusively wings going getting out in transition that's going to be a difficult matchup toronto has i believe four of the top 15 players in deflections uh and, and two the two leading that, steals that, that guys. could be challenging yeah the two leading steals guys in the nba like yeah they have no seven footers they have no big men but everyone's six nine gary trent jr is really bought in defensively really active hands fred van vliet is an elite guard defender that that is a tough tough matchup for the Cavs. and you, you look at this upcoming week where you're playing charlotte uh portland toronto and new york those are all could win games the Cavs probably don't have a should win game until December, but those are all at least could win games, which I, I think from our perspective is really, really interesting to look at because I, I think it, it's a closer to them level of competition versus playing the Lakers and the Suns, uh, who both have championship aspirations this season. Yeah, I, I totally agree. One thing I do want to talk about um, is that was kind of the other hot topic on Cavs Twitter was JB's rotations. Mm -hmm. Um Stuck with Lamar all the way through the Lakers game when it was clear he did not have it. Nope. Um, man, uh, man would it have been nice to have Okoro in that role? Like, you, I, I know in both we games, wanted. I mean, someone to throw on Booker, man. 
Dude, I I know we wanted to see a little more growth from a Coral's jump shot this season, but the the one thing he has been is, is more decisive with the basketball. He's a really intelligent team it player. It feels good that I miss him. It is great that we miss him, right? Like it, he actually does bring something to the table and and his ability to cut off ball, the intelligence, uh he makes the right play as a passer, like that would have been a really really important asset and I I think he, yeah, you you said it perfectly. It is good that we miss Isaac Okoro because He's somebody that helps this rotation. Hopefully he's back for Charlotte because we we could really, really use him against the Hornets. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, you know, I, I do think we should talk about the rotations, though. Um, Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's funny because I really wanted a nine-man rotation. I think when uh, Isaac got hurt, JB just decided to just drop a body instead of adding one. And I just don't know if that was the play. And honestly, you know, it's funny because the game was over. So I don't want to like pretend like things like really (laughs) jolted, but it was almost like, like he kind of found some dudes who were able to compete on a night where no one had their legs with that all bench unit where they made it competitive again and made Chris Paul come back in and closed, closed down shop. Yeah. Um, But you know, like give, giving, you know, a little bit of run to to the Windlers and Wades and Jetty and Jetties of the world. And obviously Jetty got his shot against Phoenix, which is a much better matchup for him. Mm-hmm. But like that's really what I, I, I kind of have moved like no even even if dudes are out, like stick with the nine man. You know, like this if this team has one thing, it's like lower mid tier depth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like not the rest of the league isn't going to be hyped about Dean Wade, but Dean Wade can give you some good minutes on the right night. Yeah, Dylan Wendler can give you good minutes on the right night. Jetty can give you good minutes on the right night, and even Lamar, who who had a nightmare game against the Lakers and then got in against Phoenix and subsequently took a zero pass mid range jumper and got yanked. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which I I liked. I like seeing that. I thought it was the right decision. I, 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 think, I think I think that you you if you're a coach, you have to set those expectations. You know, they they talk about accountability. And I thought that was a big accountability moment from JB. Like, no, I'm bringing you in for energy and defense, not to jack up a mid ranger. Yeah, and it's a delicate balance, right? Because you don't want guys to be so scared that they're going to yank if get yanked if they make a mistake, right? Like, I, and that's I, not I, a mistake, you know. That's just that's just bad. Just that's a bad decision, and there's right. a difference, right? I, exactly. If you are making mistakes, if you are missing shots within the flow of what you're supposed to be doing on the basketball court, that's fine, right? Like you can live with that. Uh, it's it's process over results, right? And, and that was just bad process and awful result. And I, I, the reality really is we don't have enough reliable options to go with an eight man rotation. Like we, we don't have eight known commodities that are going to perform well on any given night. Our young guys, Coro is there. I think they do. I, I don't, I don't because there there's nights where Darius doesn't have it, where Okoro doesn't have yeah, it. Sexton doesn't have got, it. All those guys play like, those guys though, is my point. Like you, you always have to play those but guys. That's why I, I think nine remains the golden number, no matter who's available. That, that was my point is that I, I think you should stick with a nine man rotation, maybe 10. If the guys that you have at eight and nine aren't having a great night and you want to give someone else another look. And again, it, it's kind of walking that fine line of giving those guys opportunities to earn and make mistakes within that spot spot within the rotation versus always looking over your shoulder because that's not a healthy environment but at the same time like i I completely agree i i think uh you want to i at the very least jetty osmond has played well enough this season that he should be a consistent part of that rotation um this team really does need the offense and 
when you're looking at the the guys that and, fill and, out this Cavs rotation, there there are no real complete players, right? Like Lamar no. Stevens is a good defender, and I think because he doesn't do it any like he doesn't do other things well yet at, at this stage of his career people assume that he is a great defender he's not he's, he, he's, he's a hard. he's a good physical defender but especially with the young team i think you need to prioritize offense if you're making those trade-offs and jetty has played much more within himself uh, he's a more reliable shooter and he does provide some pr- perimeter playmaking like he can actually put the ball on the floor and make plays for other people which this team really does need I, and I know as we started the show with there, there is some emotional baggage there, but at the end of the day, like he's playing well enough to deserve a, a consistent spot within this rotation. And you know what? Like I I'd like to see Dylan Windler get some reps because it, he, he looked healthy uh, out there against the suns. That's the most important thing. Shots didn't necessarily fall, but you know what? Like I, once again, with Dylan Windler, when he is healthy, he seems to make the right basketball plays out there. And, and I think that's deserving of opportunity. Um, and when it comes to JB and his rotations, I, I, we've complained about this a million times. I think people are a little too static in their evaluations of coaches, where they're either people good are or bad. so weird. People are so weird. It's like you, you can't. Like I saw someone like you can't play three guards with Kevin Love, and I'm like, well, they have like two wings on the team. So like, and if you're gonna complain, out. like complaining to Kobe, you know, I, I, he, he's gonna have to. With this weird ass roster, he's going to have to play some weird ass lineups, and sometimes they're going to work, sometimes they aren't. And, and sometimes he's going to have good big games, and some games he's going to have a bad game. Like I, I thought he did a very good job. Like JB as a coach did a, a very good job against Denver. He did a good job against the Clippers. Lamar Stevens worked very well against the Clippers, so I understood going to him as that option. But you have to recognize when he just doesn't have it and, and go to somebody else. And it, it almost felt like what we would do in preseason where one player would play in a preseason game and that was going to be his opportunity to earn an, um, earn a role within the rotation. And we would rest Jetty or we'd rest Windler. And then the next night would be a Windler night. I understand that there's still going to be some level of experimentation uh, in the regular season. I just don't really like that as a philosophy, given what this roster needs. I, I think you should always be going at least nine men when it comes to this rotation. If for no other reason than to not wear guys out. Yeah. And they look tired in that mm-hmm. game. They looked so, they look so beat. And you know, if, if, you, if nothing else, you got to give these guys some, some lighter legs. I mean, seven games in the first 11 days of the season, Brutal. Uh, you know, the Suns get four days off heading into this one. I don't think the Cavs have. <laughs> we've had we've they, had four days off all season. Yeah, the, and the Cavs don't have their first two day two day break till November eighth and ninth. Unbelievable! Absolutely it's, unbelievable! It's crazy how hard this schedule is. Their first three day break doesn't come till the till the the nineteenth, twentieth, and twenty first of the month. Like they are getting run ragged in this early schedule. There's no way around it. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how they got such hard matchups while they're getting run ragged, but you're gonna have to trust some some role guys to win you games. You know, maybe maybe with some lighter legs, Jetty's six threes are more impactful. You know, yeah. like because it like you know you can't ask more from your eighth ninth man than six threes. You just can't. Yeah, um, to- totally agree. And, and if you're going to make those trade offs, if you're going to make a compromise, I think with a young team, it is best to lean offense because, especially when you have Evan Mobley and Jared Allen uh, defensively, like we're making that trade off with Laurie Markin at the perimeter. Like we're saying, hey, just 
you know, stay in position, use your length. Jetty's a, a pretty big wing at, at like six eight, six nine. Uh just use your length because if you get blown by, which is Jetty's issue, right? Like he, he isn't six nine. Isn't he? He's he's close he's to six, it. Seven. He's listed at six seven. Oh no. Jetty's huge, man. Okay. And anyways, anyways, I'm I'm calling him six eight. Anyway, he's a big wing, but if he gets blown by, which is his issue, right? Like he's probably the worst defender on the team at this point. You have guys that can rotate over and, and can be disruptive there, right? Like we, we talked about the downside of physicality being allowed in the paint when it impacts Garland and Sexton. On the flip side, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen could be, if this was last year, we'd probably see a whole lot more whistles for those guys simply breathing on guys in the paint. And I do think that there is going to be a bit of a an evening out like they, they're going to find a balance with the officiating the uh, officials often come in very hard at the start of the year with a new point of emphasis um and then it eases up to kind of find that equilibrium i'm sure that's going to happen uh carter i'm going to read you some stats from our, our buddy blake murphy uh currently at uh sportsnet blake murphy tweeted out that fouls currently this season are at the lowest they've ever been in nba recorded history with 19.2 Per 100 possessions, we are also at the lowest three-point percentage for the NBA since 1998-1999. We are at 34.1%, and the average offensive rating for the NBA is its lowest since uh, 2015-2016 season at 106.2. So right now, you're looking at a Cavs team with a below, slightly below average offense and a slightly above average defense. The lowest foul rate ever is crazy. They are they're allowing tons of contact. Like they are they're How I, long I, does that stat been tracked? I mean per the per 100 possessions. I I have track. no idea. I have no idea. My god. That's a crazy number. 19.2 man. Like they're they're allowing tons of contact and I which, think it, which honestly the game's been better. <laughs> I like it. It, they, it has been better, and I, I think there is going to be a bit of an equilibrium. Um, as I mentioned, like the, the hand checks being allowed on the perimeter again, um, I, I think that's going to start getting called. Like guys are, are allowed to beat guys up and restrict movement out there. But one of the important things when you look at the guards, and it happened again against the Lakers, it's happening uh, against the Suns. Sexton and Garland in particular really need to take those open threes when it comes to them. I know they're not shooting well. Um, and I, I know Garland's three point percentage or his uh, three point rate is up, but those guys need to be Garland's taking those opportunities for a game. You cannot be passing up open threes because those opportunities in the lane are not currently there in the ways that you are accustomed to. Yes. The, the numbers are going to be down. Like at the end of the day, they were playing in empty arenas last year in the juice ball era. Like it is very clear. We were playing in the juice ball era where there's just too much movement allowed, too much freedom to to the offensive players could do whatever they want. So Sexton's numbers going to go down. Garland's numbers are going to go down. It's going to take us a little bit of time to adjust to, quote unquote, the new normal uh, of the NBA. But at the same time, right, like you're going to have to adjust to that. And, and you would think that from both from a coaching standpoint, from a tactical standpoint, from these guys being young and, and figuring out uh, the, the most effective ways to play, you would think that they'd be able to make these adjustments. So it, it's nice that we are ahead of schedule and we are also due for some positive regression when it comes to shooting, right? Like, because we have some guys that are, are proven shooters over the last couple of years that are not yet shooting well this season. Yeah, I mean, 
they're 28th in the league in three-point shooting with a bunch of dudes who are actually good shooters shooting now. Yeah. Like Lori's um, and, and, Lori's and going consistently to getting good looks. It it's not like they're not getting good good shots up. Uh, and speaking of players who, yeah, he only got a few minutes, but oh, I don't know if there's a player I root more for on the Cavs than Dylan Wendler, man. <laughs> Every three he put up, I was like, come on! I just and love just that he was go. pulling them. I love that he was pulling them, and and he made some nice plays. Yeah, like when he blew really by the nice guy plays, for a dunk, um, when he dove couple, on the ball and threw the, when he threw the ball behind his head when he dove for the ball, like just kind of the awareness of where his teammates are. Like he, I thought he, he earned. I thought he earned. I, and duh, I'm gonna say this because I love Dylan Wimler, uh, and I just like the way he plays, even though the threes haven't haven't been landing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as much as we want so far in his career, but like I thought that looked that was some minutes earning stuff to me. Yeah, in that well, game, I thought he helped fight him back into the game and make it competitive again. Yeah, I, I mean, team just picked up his team option, right? Like uh, they exercised the, the team options on, on Darius Garland and Dylan Windler. Uh, I, I would have been really sad bit. if they didn't pick it up because that would have been such a you know such an indicator. Yeah, like especially when you you have your two way spots to to take chances on guys. Uh, Windler's contract, uh, I think it's reported around like two million dollars a year. Like you're you're not going to get some upside there uh, for that amount just on the free market. So you, you might as well try things out because I, I've liked what he provides when he's healthy. I'd like to see him get some more minutes, and I think we we both agree. Like we we'd like to see JB open up the rotation a little bit, go go a little bit deeper, don't wear guys down. Um, but you know what, like the exciting thing about this is this is all correctable stuff, right? Like they are responding well to adversity, but now, now you're starting to see more, right? Like teams are, are figuring out what the Cavs are doing. They're making adjustments. They're putting shooting guards or, or they're putting their weakest defender on Laurie marketing. Cause they know, uh, he's not going to be physical with them. And now it's the Cavs turn to make some adjustments. Right. And, and I do think one of the major ones is capitalizing on those mismatches seeking uh those kind of individual advantages that you have i i mean that that was one of the things people criticized Ty Lue a lot for not having enough motion in his offense, but they were creative in the way that they generated isolations. And, and I would like to see a little bit more of that with the Cavs. And it, it's going to be a process to, to find that balance right between the motion. Yeah, I, sound, offense I, and I know Garland I sound like a coach. I sound like a coach by saying the players. Just, I just think the players need to execute better. I, I because that I totally agree like, because they are like, missing. While I agree with you. It's just like the, the real solution is hit your shots. Quit making bad decisions. I agree. Like the, the hitting open shots is a big part of it. Like every one of these extended droughts that the Cavs have had this season has featured missing open shots. They they've had good looks in those spaces, but I, I'm just saying like, if I'm looking at the game and I'm trying to figure out something a little more sexier than, Hey, they just got to make shots that that is something yeah. that I'd like at, at least an evolution that I'd like to see in this offense at some point this season. Like I don't, I don't think they have the talent or the polish to run like a heliocentric type offense or anything like that. They they don't have the wings to do that. They, there's a million reasons why they can't, but I, I do think finding that balance is going to be something that's at least worth looking at this season. Yeah. Um, I asked you this at the beginning of the year or before the year. I'm pretty sure I did. Um, and I want to ask you now, seven games in, what rank uh, within the NBA should the Cavs offense be? Should it be if it, like by the end of the year? Like wh- where, do you, where do you think it should land if the Cavs are having the kind of season you think that they're capable of? I'd like to they're see. They're at both. 21 right now with a 103.30 rating. 
I I would say I would be pretty pleased if they were in kind of the mid to late teens. I, I think if you're around 17th, uh, I would assume that you'd be better at home. Uh, 17 is exactly the number. I think that they, is kind of their minimum viable product. Yeah. On like that I, side of the ball. I'm, I'm factoring in consistency there, right? Like, cause we said a million times they're they're going to be really good. Some nights they are going to be really bad. Other nights it's part of being a young team. Uh, unless there's a dramatic change or, or a, a big time floor raiser is brought in. Uh, they, they find a way to, to bring in a wing. I keep looking at the new Orleans Pelicans and that record, every single loss, <laughs> Justin. every single loss is just, you know, it, it's tantalizing, man. Brandon Ingram, there, there is no player that I, I could think of that I'd like more. Uh, but yeah, you know what? Like we've even talked about it, even ain't, if it, ain't, ain't no price too high in terms of draft capital for us. Oh no, no, no! I, I would, I would, uh, I'd be doing whatever, whatever Simmons offers were out there. If those were in fact out there, I'd beat them, dude. Oh yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sending that to Brandon Ingram because there, there's no player I could think of that fits better. Uh, but it's a even, good thing Kobe definitely listens to this podcast and oh, takes yeah. in what we, what we, uh, what we, own. we know JB lessons. Hey, we don't, hey, we don't disclaimer. We, in all we fairness, can confirm JB definitely doesn't listen to this podcast. Oh, oh, he has no idea who we are. He has absolutely no idea who we are. Much like, much like AC, our dear friend AC. <laughs> Ah, bless him. Bless him though. Like the, the enthusiasm was so good. Uh, but in all fairness, I did get on this here podcast asking for Andre Drummond. We got Andre Drummond. I apologize for that. I asked for yeah. Jared Allen. We got Jared Allen. That's fun. Laurie Markinen. Laurie came on the, the cow. So I'm going to speak Brandon Ingram into existence. And even, you know what, even if it's not like a ceiling raiser, if you get a, like a, a Terrence Ross, Terrence or Ross. A Jeremy Lamb is another great one. Like, cause Karis Levert's back. TJ Warren's going to be back for Indiana eventually. Like they just have too many wings. If you get someone like that in, like I, I just think it it opens up opportunities, right? So, um, barring anything unforeseen or, or shakeups with this roster, I, I do think looking at the offense, if it's around 17th for the season, I'm I'm pretty happy with that. Like uh, factoring in inconsistency and, and the growing pains that this team is inevitably going to go through. Okay, same question, defense. Ah. Uh, I would say about the same. Like, I I think this team has a lot of potential on the defensive end, but like, I can't go higher than like fifteenth because I I just I think that if they want to, I think that if they want to get up to that thirty five plus win watermark, mm-hmm. I think they got to beat like eleventh or twelfth, and I think they can. I, I think they can. It's I'm just trying to factor everything in, like whether it's guys missing games, what like it, it. It's just it's so hard with this roster because the wing stuff so, remains a problem. Yeah, you're so young, so you're young. missing wings. It's going to leave you vulnerable against teams like Charlotte. It's going to leave you vulnerable against a team like the Raptors. I think that's a really bad matchup for the Cavs. I think Portland's actually kind of exciting because that's one of the few spots where uh, at least you don't have any uh, defenders in the backcourt for Portland. <laughs> we, we actually probably have the better defensive backcourt there. Um, and, and you're home. That's fun. I, I like home Finally. games. Jesus. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but you know what? Like it, it's It's exciting, though, because... When you look at this schedule, it sucks. We are going to go through some growing pains. There's going to be that 
residual baggage, whether it's with players or with this team in general. Like, I, I understand some people, they, they want to see it before they're going to believe in it with this roster. Um, but it's exciting that when you are facing this type of a level competition right off the bat, you're dealing with this level of adversity. If you can make these adjustments on the fly and become a little more consistent in these spots, as you really come into your own with this roster, like you have a great opportunity to make a late season run and really capitalize and all of a sudden have should win games instead of could win games later in the year. I'm, I mean, even looking at two seasons ago, like Colin Sexton had a terrible first two months of the season. Like he, he just looked bad, bad, bad. And we had conversations about moving him to the bench, all that sort of thing. And then he ended up having his best season to that point. Like I, there, there is opportunity for these guys to really come into their own this season. And I'm not expecting a finished product week two starting this many guys this young, right? Like, so and, I, I and really do think that this, this is an bad. exciting opportunity. I, I hate to, I hate to keep being the schedule whiner, but I literally have never seen something this hard for a team in the Cavs position. I mean, I don't remember stretches like this when LeBron was here, when they were good. And then going like, man, we got a lot of tough matchups here. The closest Mm -hmm. thing was February of last year. And everyone died prior to February. So that that hurt. You were playing games without any guards and whatnot. But it's almost like they took what the Cavs had last year after like the the start of the season. And were like, try that for a month and a half. Try that for two months here. Like there, there really is so few should win games in that stretch. Yeah. And it's, uh, I was, um, and part of me was thinking, hey, you know, the East is much more competent top to bottom this year. The West, is, you know, there's really only a couple teams that are not trying to win. So maybe this is just my brain going, you know, maybe it's just being a little too, um, you know, maybe it's some loser stuff out of me. Yeah. And then I just look emotional like, baggage. <laughs> but, but no, all these teams are like in the upper echelon of their conference. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, you know, the, the Charlotte games are like days off. Yeah. Unbelievable. Like that's those are the days off, and the Charlotte team's really good right now. They really, really are. But you know that's what? Crazy. Like they've they've navigated well to this point. I, I think it's an exciting opportunity. Um, yeah. Uh, the bottom line is, guys need to execute better. The young guys need to be better. Jared Allen needs to be more consistent. Garland needs to take better care of the ball. Um, Colin Sexton. Need, one, one, he needs to play a little more under control. But you know what? Like I, I think th- there's tactical things there where you, you need to make sure that he's getting more involved. You need to make sure that he's getting the ball in his hands. So I wouldn't put as much onto him, but um, especially like leaders of the team, like Garland and Allen in particular, like the, that's kind of how they, they were presented to start this year. And I, I think it's fair to expect them uh, to respond well to those off nights. Like I, I don't yeah. think we're at the point where we should be freaking out uh, no. when they no. do have bad nights. Uh, like that is going to happen all of this season, but what we should expect is, hey, these guys have an opportunity to respond to those off nights and, and hope that, you know, instead of a 22 to four run, it might be a 14 to four run, right? Like we find ways to kind of mitigate those bad moments and, and make them less harmful than they have been. But uh, one, I, I one got fun- one. I got one. I got one last one for you. I'm taking over. Okay. We're about to head, head in November. By the end of November, the Cavs will have played 21 games. What will their record be? Oh God, I, I'm not even going. I'm not going to answer that. I'm sorry. I I can't. I I don't know. I my prognostication only goes for the season. Sorry, uh, and I, I'm I, not moving think, my season think, predictions at all. I think that if they are somewhere in the neighborhood of like 
three or four games under 500, that's an enormous win. It's a huge win. I'm, 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 I'm through the moon. Uh, I'm, I'm like tap dancing on the roof of my building if that's what happens. So here, here's what that's what I, I think their goal needs to be is is steal you know three or four games that they shouldn't extra and we're and we're cooking with gas. That's be- all where you can ask of them. Let's be honest, like to get into the play in tournament, you're probably looking at a team that's maybe about four or five games under 500. Like that's probably what the 10 seed is going to be. If you get through the hardest part of your schedule and that's where you're at, that you're just, you know, a few games, handful of games under 500, then you got to play 500 ball the rest of the way, which I don't know if they can do, but that would, that needs to be the goal at minimum. I, I agree. And, and maybe it's even, uh, Hey, if that's where you're at, you start to look at the trade deadline a little differently where you try to get buyers, you try to become a, an above 500 team and really overachieve this season. But uh, that is putting the cart ahead of the horse. Uh, I will say one thing before I, I wrap this up. I do think it is encouraging and, and it speaks well to the, the preparation of this team that they have come out every single game and started well. The The first mm-hmm. quarters have gone well, and, and I think that is a good indicator of a well-prepared team and a team that's buying in. It's just nothing about is that harder on the spirit. Th- nothing is harder on the spirit than a wire-to-wire ass-kicking. Honestly, I think if it was a wire-to-wire butt-kicking against the Suns, the reaction would have been a little more tempered. But because the Suns were rusty after that time off, that the Cavs got out to that little lead in the early second quarter against the Suns bench, I think that shifted expectations because everyone was expecting a letdown game. It expected uh, it, it shifted it to, we might be able to steal this one. And then the Suns played like they do, right? Like, it, it just, what should have happened did happen. And I, I think the way that it started kind of threw people off. But I, I do think it's a really, really encouraging sign that this team is coming out of the gate every single night prepared and playing well. I don't think it's always going to be the case, but it's a really good sign early in the season. Couldn't agree more, man. I like this team. I, I like this team, too. And you know what? I think we're getting off to a good start out of the gate with this podcast. I, I feel I, I like the early season rhythm. I, I like that there's things to actually analyze with this. Like, I, I almost like podcasting after losses more because you, you can break down where the opportunities for growth are. Whereas after wins, like everyone's just kind of riding high. Everyone's feeling good. Like, we just want to kind of share in the excitement. I crank up this light in front of me to to look at the Cavs future because it's so bright. You know, it's it, it's it's exciting stuff, man. Yeah, I agree, man. It's going to be a lot of fun to see them kind of work through this stretch, or it'll be terrible. Who's to say? You know, it, either is possible. Either is possible, but I'm I'm rooting for the former. Uh, I want to thank all of our listeners. If you're watching live on YouTube, instead of watching the Browns game, good for you, man. Uh, crazy yeah, stunner, play. stunner. I can't believe I, I realized as we sat down that we were counter-programming the Browns. I was like, well, ain't no one going to watch today. Yeah, you know what? Counter-programming the Browns, but it's it's Halloween. You got trick-or-treating and do in the evening. I'm going to go watch Dune, uh, my return to the movie theater, so I'm pretty excited about that. If you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, click the little bell to get the notification when we go live. Best way to support the podcast there. If you are listening via podcast, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Downs exclusive Discord chat, you can do so by leaving a screenshot of that review at chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support support us we really do appreciate it make sure you guys are staying safe out there and until next time go caps